You know, every one of us has a story. So what's yours? I love uh, the opportunity that we've been having week after week to hear different stories of how God is at work in the lives of uh, different people here in, in our church. And in fact, it's one of the things that I enjoy uh, doing in, in the work of ministry is, is sitting down with people and hearing their stories. Uh, uh, like a, a few weeks ago, and uh, I'll give him the name uh, 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 Magdi. Uh, rather than his real name, but uh, I, I got to sit down with a, uh, uh, with a young man, a student who had come from a very restrictive Middle Eastern country and is studying in Chicago at the moment. And uh, During his studies, he uh, recently uh, uh, encountered some people who shared with him the gospel and how God is working in his life, how he has now come to be a follower of Jesus Christ uh, coming out of Islam. And, and now is passionate about sharing his newfound faith with uh, Muslim friends and uh, uh, fellow students and uh, uh, as he prepares to go back to his home country. And it was just a joy and a privilege to be able to sit down and play a small part in his discipleship journey. But to hear that story is amazing. I, I think of the stories uh, that I have heard at different times from different people over the years. I think of uh, uh, a young woman, I'll call her Sarah, who uh, was struggling with overwhelming depression because of the abuse that she had experienced in her life for so many years. In fact, it was so severe in her life that she was cutting and self-mutilating. And the first time that I met her, it was like I was talking to a person, but there seemed to be nothing behind those eyes. And over time, how I saw God's word begin to take effect in her life. And now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, she, she is, is so uh, alive. She, she has just a, a joyfulness about her and a thankfulness. And, and honestly, you would, even just if you were to, to bump into her in the street, having known her before, you, you would think that this was an entirely different person. I love hearing uh, these kind of stories. I love hearing stories like uh, another one about somebody who was uh, engaged in, uh, in the gay lifestyle. And when they encountered the good news of Jesus Christ, because somebody stepped up and was courageous enough to love on them, to care for them, and to tell them about God, how God had worked in their life. She heard this message. She turned to Jesus. And, and the thing that she had craved, the thing that she had been longing for, the thing that she had most uh, been looking for and searching for in relationships, she found a satisfaction and a joy and a, and, and a fulfillment and a purpose in Jesus Christ. I love hearing about people who grew up in the church and sat there. And for many years, it seemed like the message just kind of went over their head. And one day, one day, somebody came alongside them and had a conversation, and God opened their eyes to see and to understand and to, to see the beauty of Jesus and how their life was changed. You see, every one of us has a story. So what's yours?
every one of us has a story. So who are you going to tell yours to? The Apostle Paul, as we find him in the book of Acts, has been traveling from place to place. Uh, as we've seen in recent weeks, uh, after, after coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, after his life being radically transformed, he goes from city to city and he's, he's preaching the gospel. He's sharing uh, about Christ. He's sharing about what, uh, what the Lord Jesus has done in his life. He's planting churches. He's encouraging believers. He's establishing elders. And this morning, as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Acts, this series that we're calling Witness, uh, we find ourselves toward the end of the book. We're specifically going to be focusing on Acts chapter 26, but even in order to get there, we need to understand from Acts 21 what's taking place. Because you see, from Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 26, we see Paul tell his story no less than five times recorded for us in the book of Acts. And so I want to encourage you to grab your Bible to open it up. But even as we make our way to Acts chapter 26, let me highlight for you or catch you up on some of what's taking place beginning in Acts chapter 21. You see, after traveling from place to place and preaching the gospel, uh, Paul uh, has it laid on his heart by the Lord that he wants to return to Jerusalem in time for the Passover. And so as he leaves a place called Miletus, he, he, he travels by boat and uh, they, they land at Tyre and then uh, on to Ptolemies and then, and then they arrive in Caesarea. And there in Caesarea, he, he's staying with, uh, with a family, uh, Philip and his family. And a prophet comes to him, one of uh, the, uh, the believers in the church by the name of Agabus. And Agabus takes from Paul his belt and he wraps it around his own wrists and he says, such will happen to the man who owns this belt. He will go to Jerusalem and he will be captured and imprisoned by the Jews. And so all of the believers who are there, they hear this and say, Paul, Paul, whatever you do, don't go. We don't want you to go. We don't want you to be imprisoned. They were probably thinking, look at all the ministry that you have been able to be engaged in as you've been moving from place to place to place. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says to them, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are breaking my heart. He says, I am willing, I am prepared to not only go to Jerusalem, to not only be in prison, but also to even go to my death for the name of the Lord Jesus. He then makes his way as the believers there realize that they're not going to talk Paul out of this. He makes his way from uh, where he is, to Jerusalem, and he gathers there with the other disciples, with the other uh, apostles, and they are so encouraged. The believers in Jerusalem are so encouraged as they hear the report from Paul about all that's been taking place and about how God is at work amongst the Gentiles. But they also warn him, James, uh, 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 who is the half-brother of Jesus, a leader in the church there in Jerusalem, he warns them and says, now you need to know that word has gotten around Jerusalem that you have been teaching people that they don't have to keep the law. 
And, and, and so we want to recommend to you, we want to advise you that you go to the temple and that you present an offering and that you fulfill a vow and that you do this, this, this religious ritual in order to demonstrate the fact that you do not despise the law of God because we know you don't in order to disprove this false news that is being spread about you. And so Paul and his companions do that, and they go down to the temple one day to fulfill a, a, a part of this, of this vow that they make. And as they are in the temple, there's a group of Jews who have arrived from parts of Asia. And they see Paul, and they recognize him, and they begin to spread word. There's that guy, Paul. And they begin to make up a story He is bringing Gentiles into the temple courts, which was forbidden. And and so they stir up the crowd and they stir up a riot. And literally a mob begins to attack the Apostle Paul. And, And they are about to put him to death when the Roman guard, because Jerusalem was under the control of the Romans, when the Roman guard sweep in break up the riot, capture Paul, because they assume that he must have been the instigator, and take him up to the barracks. Now, when the Roman commander there in Jerusalem discovers that Paul is actually a Roman citizen, he gives him permission to speak to, to address the crowd. So you can imagine the scene. All of the Jews are furious the, the mob who has been rioting are there in the streets and the barracks are kind of set up uh, above the city. And Paul, standing at the top of the steps, sort of like I am here with the mob down there, he begins to speak to them and he tells them his story. He tells them the story of how he was a faithful Jew, how he was diligent for the law of Moses and how he encountered Jesus Christ and his life was utterly transformed. But the Jews are still furious at this. And, and so for uh, the, the, the Roman centurion, the, the Roman commander there, takes Paul into the barracks. And the next day, some of the leaders of the Jews come and uh, they are ready for their case against him to be heard. But again, they make all sorts of accusations. And again, Paul shares his story. He declares how Jesus Christ has transformed his life and how he can transform their lives too. The Jews are still so furious and still want Paul put to death, so much so that a group of 40 of them make a vow that they will not eat or drink anything anything until Paul is assassinated. But the plot is discovered. Uh, The Roman commander sends Paul to Caesarea, which was the provincial capital for the Roman Empire in this area, in order to rescue him from this. It always makes me wonder what happened to those guys who made that vow. did Did they continue on their starvation diet? We don't know. But then when he arrives there, he is to stand trial between, uh, under Felix, who is the Roman governor of the region. And again, he has the opportunity to present a defense. And then we're told 
having presented the defense that Felix just throws him back in the prison cell to wait, to linger. But in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, we're told the following night after he's given again his testimony for the Lord, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Felix leaves him in jail for two more years. Felix is replaced by another governor by the name of Festus. And Festus arrives and he wants to know, well, who is this guy who's been sat in my jail without any formal charges against him? And so again, he brings him out and Paul once again, before the Roman high command there, gets to share his story. And as he shares his story, Festus says, well, how about I just send you back to Jerusalem so that you can go on trial there and you can uh, have your, your court day uh, uh, with the Jews there. And Paul, Paul says, no. I am a Roman citizen. And I appeal to Caesar. One of the rights of being a Roman citizen. Was that you had the protection. Of the full might and power of the Romans. But one of the rights that you had. Was that you could actually. Ask that your case. That your uh, court case. Be heard by Caesar himself. It would be a little bit like saying, I appeal to the Supreme Court. And once you exercised that right, there was no going back. A few days later, Festus, the Roman governor, was still trying to decide what to do. And, and, and uh, Agrippa and his sister Bernice, uh, Agrippa was a, something of a puppet king in this region of, uh, uh, for the Jews. Didn't really have a lot of authority, more like a figurehead to appease the Jewish people. Well, he comes to pay tribute to Festus. And that brings us to Acts chapter 25 and then Acts chapter 26, our passage. And what we see is that Festus explains the situation to Agrippa. And Agrippa says, I would like to hear him. And Festus says, well, I'm glad that you would like to hear him because the truth of the matter is I've got to send him to Caesar and I don't know what to write. And it seems inappropriate for me to send a prisoner without at least saying what the charges are. And so we come to this day and the whole meeting room of the citadel is filled. All of the leading soldiers, all of the leading governors, all of the leading officials. And Festus comes in and Agrippa and Bernice come in in their royal finery and their, and their royal robes. And as they come in, they take their seats and then Paul, the prisoner, is brought in in his prison tunic. And yet, despite all of the magnificence and the finery in the room, despite all of the authority and the, the earthly power that is represented in that room, there is something quiet. There is something confident about Paul as he stands there. And Agrippa says to him, you may speak freely. And Paul begins 
once again to tell his story. He says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am to make my defense today against all of the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all of the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Despite the injustice that Paul had experienced, he he speaks respectfully to those who are gathered. It seems that uh, Agrippa was well-versed in all that had taken place in Jerusalem and uh, throughout that region, and he knew about the Scriptures. And Paul begins to tell his own story. He says, I, I grew up in a devout family. I grew up, in fact, in the strictest form of the faith of our fathers, of Judaism, as a Pharisee. I did everything to try to keep the law of Moses. And beyond that, not only was I devout, in fact, far more devout than the many of my fellow Jews, but when I heard about this Jesus of Nazareth, I did everything that I could possibly do to oppose his name and those who followed him. I went from place to place, imprisoning and whipping his followers. And when they were put to death, I stood giving my approval. In fact, he said, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Paul, as he stood there before Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and all of the others, he says, this is what my life was like before Christ. But then he he continued, and as he's standing there, as he's giving his defense, as he's giving his witness, he says, in this connection, in order to persecute these followers of the way, these followers of Jesus, I even received letters of authority from the high priest, and I was on my way to Damascus. And as I was going to Damascus to persecute and to imprison and even to put to death some of these believers, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone all around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the the goads. Seems like a strange expression, but what he's saying is he's, he's telling them what he heard from the resurrected Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? You see, when followers of Jesus are opposed and persecuted, people are not persecuting them. Ultimately, they are trying to persecute the Lord. There is a connection between the Lord Jesus and his people. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. It seems like a strange expression, but what it means is this. 
you are only hurting yourself. You see, a goad was almost like a cattle prod. It was a sharp stick for prodding them. And so if you're trying to kick against these, you're actually going to do yourself harm. Saul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So not only does Paul start with the message of this is who I was before I came to know Christ, he then goes on to say, this is how I encountered Christ. And he talks here about the commission that was given to him, not only to turn to the Lord Jesus, but also to bear witness to him. And to, in bearing witness to him, to lead others to a place of freedom, to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Did you know that those who are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ live under the power of Satan? And when a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not only brought from darkness to light, but they are released from the power of Satan and brought into the kingdom of Christ Jesus, the beloved Son. And forgiveness of sins is available for those who are sanctified by faith in him. Having told them this is who I was before I came to know Christ, this is how I encountered Christ, he then goes on to begin to explain to them, and this is how my life has changed. This is how my life has changed since I've now come to know him as my Savior. It says, therefore, O Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and then Jerusalem and throughout the whole region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. In other words, my life was radically changed after meeting Jesus because the very message that I persecuted, the very message that I was trying to stifle, the very message that I was trying to keep people from hearing, I became a herald of that message. It says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple, and they tried to kill me. To this day, I have had God's help. And so, therefore, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So he declares that Christ died according to the scriptures for the forgiveness of sins. That Christ rose again according to the scriptures. And that by faith in him is salvation. When Paul had said these things, Festus, the Roman governor, stood up and said, Paul, you are crazy. You are out of your mind. Your great learning and intellect has driven you mad. 
despite being mocked. Paul said, no, I am not out of my mind. I am in my right mind. And he turned to Agrippa, this king. He said, the king here, he knows these things. He knows about this because none of it has been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, maybe he was feeling a little bit awkward, maybe he was feeling a little bit embarrassed and put on the spot, but he said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and all who were sitting there, and they, after they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. One of the things that we see in the book of Acts is an apologetic for the Christian faith. And here is the fifth of a series of trials in which not only Paul, but in a sense the whole Christian faith is put on trial and shown to be not only, uh, uh, not only legitimate, but actually something which is respectable, something that is not illegal, something that brings blessing to society. The very things that many in the Roman Empire were accusing Christianity of being something that was subversive. So these trials show that time and time again, the verdict is not guilty. But you know, it's an interesting account that we have here. As Paul shows his life before Christ, how he comes to experience Christ, but we see that Paul was able to stay the course because he knew the God whom he had believed. He was able to stay the course because he knew the God that he had believed. I mean, think about this for a moment. He was imprisoned for, for several years. For nothing. Uh, first in, in Jerusalem and then in Caesarea. And as we're going to learn about next week as we finish out this series. Uh, even in Rome. Paul knew what it was to be thrown in prison and to languish there. And yet, he didn't give up. And yet, he wasn't bitter. And yet, he didn't come out when he had the opportunity to speak and begin to chew out the people who were committing this injustice. Because he knew whom he had believed. And he knew that even in the midst of his imprisonment, God was working out his incredible purpose. That he actually had a commission to proclaim the gospel. In fact, Jesus had spoken to his disciples and said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. You will bear witness before kings and rulers. 
And in that moment, his words will be given you. And Paul had been told, you must bear witness, even in Rome. So we're going to see as the book draws toward a close next week, that that happened. From the lowest, from a slave girl in the city of Philippi that we see in Acts chapter 16, to Caesar himself, the Apostle Paul has the opportunity to tell his story of who he was before he knew Christ, of how he encountered Christ, how his life had been changed, and how now that same salvation is available to all who believe. More than that, Paul used his story of how he encountered Jesus both as a defense and as a witness. We see him speaking as I've alluded to, respectfully, despite the treatment and the obvious injustice of his situation. Not only does he tell the story of who he was before he came to Christ, and how he uh, encountered Christ, and, and how it's been transformed since coming to Christ, but he's also clear about the gospel itself, that Christ died for sins, that Christ rose from the dead, that through Christ, you can be brought from death to life, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the kingdom of God. He took the opportunity to encourage those who heard him to respond. Paul was bold in the power of the Holy Spirit. He not only gave his own story, but he said, but what about you? Do you believe? Are you ready to respond? I want us to think about this. You see, every one of us has a story. So what's yours? Think about your story. Think about your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about your life before you came to know Christ. And then how you came to know him and, and, and what he's done in your life since For those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we are able to clearly speak about what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross and uh, and when he rose again from the dead because that's the heart of the gospel. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we've seen all through this series, we've been commissioned by him as witnesses. And witnesses, first and foremost, testify not to facts and figures and details that that, that they're distant from them, but from what they've seen and from what they've experienced themselves. Sometimes we make the excuse, I don't know enough to tell others. That may be the case. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you do know your story. You do know what Christ has done in your life. I would encourage you this week, if you've never done it before, that you would take time to think through your story, who you were before you came to know Christ, how you came to know Christ and experienced him, what he's done in your life since then, how the gospel has come alive to you. And I would encourage you to think about and to pray about, Lord, 
how would you have me share my story? Maybe that means you, you, as you get together with someone, you, you just simply say, would you mind if I, if I share with you a little bit about my life and something that has made a huge impact on it? If we're able to do that face-to-face, that's great. But if we're not able to, then maybe it, it, it might be that God lays on your heart somebody who you need to write a letter to or an email. Or, or, or maybe amongst everything else that's there on social media, maybe you need to sit down in front of your camera, in front of your phone, in front of... And, and, and even something similar to the video we saw a few minutes ago and just share a little bit about your story. Who you were before you came to know Christ. How you came to encounter him and the difference that that's made and how the gospel has become so beautiful to you. And maybe instead of posting or sharing the latest article about this political person and this political office, maybe you could upload that video on your Facebook feed. Just say, I got a lot of friends on Facebook, but I don't know that you all know me, and so I just wanted to share with you a little bit about myself. Perhaps we can use it as an opportunity to encourage somebody who needs to know. But the truth of the matter is, as we look over this chapter, as we look over, and we've really moved very quickly through a number of chapters here, it may be that some of us are a little bit like Agrippa. It it, it may be that you have sat here today, that you've been watching online today, and, and you know the information, and you've heard the story But your story is still in the first chapter. Your story is still in the before I knew Christ. Because you've never yet come to that place where you've actually encountered him for yourself. This same Jesus that Paul spoke of so many years ago invites each one of us today to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God so that we could receive forgiveness of sin and new life in him, so that we can be adopted into his family because that's the message of the gospel. See, we may not find ourselves arrested or on trial for our faith. But amongst the people who you and I meet, amongst those that we live amongst, amongst those that we work with, amongst those who we go to school with, amongst those that we interact with as we go about the journey of our week and of our life. We have the privilege to graciously give a defense for the faith and to bear witness to Jesus Christ and what he has done in our life. To do anything less is to be disobedient to the commission that has been given to us by Christ himself. To do anything less is to be unloving. We live in a world that says, oh, well, forcing your ideas or pushing your ideas on someone, that's not loving. Well, you want to know what's not loving? Seeing somebody who is under the power of Satan and saying nothing about it. If we believe 
that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are lifted out of the power of kingdom of, of Satan and transferred to the kingdom of Christ, the Savior, the beloved Son. Then we need to say something. To do anything less is ungrateful. How quickly we tell the story of an unexpected gift that we are given. How quickly we tell the story of a celebrity that we happen to bump into. And we love to tell everybody about them. And yet, how slow we are, how quiet we often are when it comes to, the one, to speaking about the one who has rescued us. The one who has set us free, the one who has forgiven us. Every one of us has a story. And if we willingly and respectfully tell it to others, if we prayerfully seek the Lord and say, Lord, would you give me the opportunity today to tell somebody else that I once was blind, but now I see. God delights to honor that person. Who knows? God may choose to use your story or mine to minister to somebody who desperately needs to hear it. Maybe he would choose to use your story or mine to minister to somebody like Magdi, that young man from the Middle Eastern country who is here for a very short time studying, who now, having heard the gospel, is so passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ that he is telling all of his Muslim friends that there is one true Savior and Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And who was burdened to go back and to be an evangelist in the Middle Eastern country of his birth. Maybe God would choose to use your story or mine to minister to someone like Sarah, who was in such deep despair and depression and hopelessness. That just to feel anything, she was cutting it and mutilating it. But now, having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, she has a joy. She has a, 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 a spirit which is vivacious. Or maybe God would choose to use your story or mine. For somebody who is looking to relationships that are not honoring to God because they're looking for love, they're looking for, they're looking for significance, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for a place for acceptance in all the wrong places. I don't know how God would choose to use your story or mine. But when we share our story, we not only obey the commission that we're given as witnesses, but we also once again declare the greatness of Jesus as we remind ourselves and others of who he is, of what he's done, that we were once lost, but now we're found, that we were blind, but now we see. Every one of us has a story. So what's yours?
Every one of us has a story. So who could you tell yours to? Lord, we thank you that you are in the business of interrupting the stories that we try to write for ourselves. We thank you that when we were going our own way, even when we didn't know that we needed a Savior, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die, to bear our sins in his body on the cross, and to rise again victorious to life, and to give forgiveness and new life and freedom to all who come to him in faith. Lord, I thank you for those of us who are here gathered in this building or watching online who have a story that includes an encounter with you and are able to give testimony to how our lives have been transformed because we now know you. And Lord, I pray also for those who like Agrippa who now have heard the story. I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt them to look at their own story and to see, to recognize that they are still in that first chapter and that today would be the day that they would encounter the living Christ for themselves and turn to you and be saved. And I ask, Father, that we would not merely be those who have a story that we keep quiet about, but would you give us eyes to see the people around us? Would you prompt us by your Holy Spirit that we might recognize those who need to hear. And would you this week give us divine appointments, opportunities from you, where you are working, where you are preparing the heart that we might speak. And Lord, would you give us the kind of respect and the kind of holy boldness that your servant Paul had so many years ago. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. Help us to use our freedom to declare your greatness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, we are so grateful that uh, you chose to join us for worship again this morning and want to invite you back again next Sunday morning as we close out our time together. Uh, as I was thinking about this passage and this message this morning, I was reminded of the book of Revelation in chapter 12, and it speaks about a time that is yet to come. But the declaration is, it says, now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. It says, and they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. It speaks of the time where Satan himself will be cast down into that eternal fire, and the declaration of praise will be given, and we will cry out in celebration that we have overcome, not by our own merit and not by our own strength, but by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony. Go in the peace and the joy of the Lord.
celebrating the fact that through Christ you have overcome because of the blood of the Lamb as we declare the word of our testimony. God bless you and have a great week.